With us coming up right now is Patchwork Flower Farm in Springfield, Missouri, and Gaylene, the lady that's in charge. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy, and with me today is... Third-year rookie, Scott. Scott, third-year rookie. Guess what we got going today? Uh, we have uh, zinnias. You're supposed to guess. You seem to be one that uh, really knows what you're talking about here. <laughs> I made the arrangements. That's, That's right. what a producer does. <laughs> okay, where are we going to... How are we talking about zinnias? What, give me the who, what, when, where, how, and oh, why. Oh, I just... It's, you know, I've been picking a flower that I've been seeing out in our garden center out in the yard... And I just like, I just start reading about them and looking at them. And I was like, these look really cool. They have creeping ones and all kinds of varieties and big bloomers. Um, so I was just like, yeah, let's, let's find somebody that's an expert on zinnias. And well, who'd we find? Did, what uh, is the lady's name? Do you got Gaylene. it? Gaylene Seabold? Yeah, she has Patchwork Flower Farm. And we're going to talk to her in a minute. But I have a couple little quick house keeping items clean up and housing okay like i do it's very interesting um uh, everybody has to excuse me i got stung by a bee right on the lip it wasn't a bee (laughs) it was a yellow jacket yeah they're vicious yeah right on the lip i was enjoying an adult beverage in a glass bottle and and he was in the bottle no he was sitting on top of it So oh, I, I don't even want to know. My wife describes my look as now I know where they came up for the look for the Simpsons because the lower jaw, jaw, sorry, there it is. Lower jaw, it was all puffed out and my top lip was big. And it was a sight. It was interesting. Yeah, we were wondering how the trumpet <laughs> lessons went. <laughs> anyway, so my wife and I just came back from Disneyland. She had never been there. And before I start my football tour of 13 weekends of nonstop action. I said, well, let's go to Disneyland. Are we talking land or world? Land, California, IA. Oh, you? Been okay. There. So uh, Anaheim. It was kind of cool because they've got an area called Storybook, and they it's a, like miniature castles and stuff, houses of the characters, and everything's miniature, and so are the flowers and trees and all that stuff. And so it was very interesting, alive? very pretty. Yeah, it's all living stuff. No kidding. And the, how they manicure. And, and then so on the Disney experience on their app during COVID, apparently, uh, Disney kept busy by putting information. Um, you know, everybody knows about hidden Mickeys. You know, you go to someplace uh, in the park and you look for a hidden Mickey. Well, they were talking about building uh, hidden Mickey flower pots. And they had instructions. Basically, it's a succulent. You you know, you get a clay pot, you fill it up, and you find one bigger succulent and two small ones, and you make ears in it and decorate it all around. The horticultural department there is incredible. Why did they start something like this? On the app? Well, uh, no. For the, the I mean, did you say you alluded to since COVID they've been doing this? Well, since COVID, I think they put the information uh, how to build this stuff. Oh, no kidding. The DIY thing on the app just because the parks are closed. So to keep you engaged in their app, they got you. Put a whole so, which is kind of interesting. And I've been working on, even before this, there's a company we deal with, uh, Mulberry Miniatures. 
and they do miniature perennials type stuff. And I've been trying to get them on and we've made some more phone calls and uh, hopefully that happens because I mean, cool. the Disneyland thing was incredible with the, the flowers super in the miniatures. So I wanted to pass that along to everybody. If, if you have that app uh, or you can even Google it, um, I think they have it already laid out just as a, a Google search. Yeah, but these now, is this have can this work in conjunction with, let's say, the fairy gardens that we're, you know, trying? Not- yes, and that's where we're going to go, hopefully, maybe with these mulberry miniature people. Okay, cool. Building a fairy really garden. Cool. Then that's, I'm excited. I mean, it sounds, you know, most people are, hey, how can you be a macho dude and you're talking about little miniature fairy gardens? These things are so cool. You got, I mean, and they're alive. I mean, it's almost as if they're living. And if, as you, if you're a child or you have a child, five, seven years old, they see these things. Can you imagine what their imagination's going through right now? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so cool. You got to look these things up. So that's my little tidy house cleaning okay. from how, the trip. How are we going to go? I hope everybody was okay. Yeah, your lip does look like, well, won't go there. Homer Simpson. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's huge. Oh man, it, it it's does it's, it feel as bad as it looks? I mean, not that it looks really bad. Well, yeah, no, it looks it, awful. No, it's, it's huge. <laughs> it's, it's like a or a plastic surgery went bad. Do you need to wear a bib to keep the saliva in your you know <laughs> contained? Yeah, I drank out of straw. All right, let's segue to something else. What do How we about got? today's show? We got something really cool. So Scott was doing a little researching, and he came upon the Xenia scenario. And he came upon a lady by the name of Galene Siebold, who owns Patchwork Flower Farms in Springfield, Missouri, in the Ozarks. And we're sticking with, you know, uh, the Midwest. We're reaching, but it's really, really cool with what she has to say and how we're going about doing it. So let's go let's and say hello her. to Galene. Hello, Galene. I'm here. Now, you are a multifaceted farm work out there in Missouri. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on to, like, the zinnias, for instance, how you got this started and where you're going with it? Okay. I'm not so sure I can answer where I'm going because life unfolds for me, and I just roll with it and adjust to that. But I can tell you where I've been and, and basically where I am right now. Well, okay. Tell us exactly, not exactly, but, I mean, tell us where you've been, <laughs> how you got to this stage, and, um, like, I'm with you also. Go with the flow and see where it goes. But can you start with where <laughs> you've been and how you started this? Sure. I, um, I grew up on a wheat farm in the middle of North Dakota. So I always had dirt under my fingernails growing up and a love for, for plants. However, we grew vegetables, and that, that was about it. I went to college. I got a degree in graphic design. I applied that for 30 years as a quilt maker. I ended up with a wholesale quilt business, and that was in the heart of Minneapolis. My husband and I always wanted to move to the country. So when we retired, and I'm putting retired in quotation marks, we moved to uh, just north of Springfield, Missouri. We wanted to get it away from the snow. (laughs) And... <laughs> and we wanted our own little property because my husband also grew up in the country. And so seven years ago, we moved to Missouri 
we started with a few little tomato plants out in the pasture. We have five acres in front of our house. Well, one thing after another happens, and pretty soon I have this like garden that's out of control. But the shift really hands up, uh, switched to to flowers during actually the lockdown, 2020, and it hadn't been that long ago hmm. when I just threw some zinnias in, threw some flowers in, and then I put the picture of that. And since I have this graphic design background, composition in the picture is my big thing. And I put it on the Facebook group, Love My Ozarks, and some strangers saw it and they go, oh, can we come out and just like look at your flowers? Because they were looking for things to do with their kids, with their parents, like grand, so it'd be grandparents, um, intergenerational. Mm -hmm. They were looking for something and outdoorsy to do because they, they were bored. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not open to the public. I'm just doing this for myself. Well, one person talked me into it. Well, that was the start of my UPIC farm. So it, it turned into a UPIC farm this that that summer, and I just amped it up from there. And now I... I'm no longer retired. I have a full-time job. <laughs> now, for those of uh, you listening in and you want to follow along a little bit, Gaylene does have a Facebook and an Instagram account, and Patchwork Flower Farm is the Facebook, and she's got a ton of pictures on there uh, that you can look through as you listen into the show. Yeah, I got a question again. Since Scott was, was, was well, thank you, Scott. Can you explain with, with us doing your uh, research on this? We can tell that you've used, you're using your, your graphic design degree, and your, your canvas is basically the, the earth, isn't it? I mean, you're using your flowers. You're using all sorts of other. Explain to me one of these things called quilling or quill. What is a quill? Okay, a quill. That's very astute of you to notice that I no longer use my scraps of fabric as my my material to stitch together. I use my patches of of flowers out there to create my quilt. The quilt is the finished big piece that comes together through scraps. So that's why I mean this farm, patchwork flower farm, is because of my my history for 30 years of making a living, but I think it works that name because even if people don't know about my history, it's still, I think is a good name because people come out and they see these blocks of, of beds um, put together. And I'm very much into that cohesive whole. Is this by any chance each one of those squares that has some type of flower, some type of design, some type of butterfly on it, are each of these going into a quilt with a T at the end of it? Only a, a quilt in that exists in the in my brain. In in your brain, okay. So yeah, in, in my other brain. words, you're you're, you're piecing, I see this now. Scott's showing me one on on your Facebook page on your photos where it has multiples and you've got nine different butterflies that are on that. When you said that you're doing a cut flower routine, uh, is by any chance this something that you leave limits to? I mean, you, do you have appointments? Do people come in? 
They bring their families or friends over. They go ahead and they go and choose what they would like to cut and then take with them. How's this thing work? Yeah, exactly. And, and by appointment only. And the reason why I have it set up that not like a block of, of time from 6 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday night is out of necessity, we have limited parking because this this pick uh, business is actually four steps out of my front door. Even though we have five acres, we we live almost in the midst of of the gardens. So by design, no. You know what? I got to tell you, most of my the stuff in my life, whether it be flowers or whatever, is never by design. I just I see what's out there and I respond to it rather than me intentionally going in and manipulating things. I always tell people, oh, man, I am not an author, but I am a good editor. I love to take found objects and then respond to that and make it into something what I consider even more pleasing. So I, I, I cannot, um, let's just say I'm an editor in life. You and Scott are common denominator there. Yeah, I knew it. I just, <laughs> when I saw some of the uh, butterfly photo that you took and then you worked it into a piece of art, I was just like, oh, man, this is Photoshop. And we're uh, art lovers by that design because it's, it's, you I know, do a lot of Photoshop. I'm discovering that this is when she said she just goes with the flow, what she plans on doing with this. When I asked you if this was by design, everything seems to be flowing in its proper direction. Is that like a, some type of a, oh, gosh. It's her eye. It's more than the eye. I think this is basically what her foundation is. I understand that you have four varieties that you like to plant. Can you tell us a little bit about those varieties and, and why those? Yes. Yes. Well, that's another thing. Even though I feel like I'm artistic and I have an eye, I'm very analytical. I will study things to death as far as the raw materials and, and what are their strengths and weaknesses. And so I I have gotten this down to four varieties that I that I buy seed for. And then if they happen to self-seed and cross-pollinate and do whatever out there in the garden, I then respond to that. But I start off with binary giants. Now, let's get up to the, about four-plus feet in height, correct? Yes, in northern climates, but in southern humid climates. And if I give them the spacing when I plant them, they're, they're up to my eyeballs. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they, go, they go pretty crazy in our climate down here. I also support them with a net pole nest so that they go straight up instead of sprawling on the ground. Sure. They 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 get they get pretty tall. Now that is one reason why people like to come out to pick flowers. And I don't go to farmers market. I don't sell bouquets that I take to people. I feel like my business really is not so much a bouquet, but it's the experience of being in the garden. Because I want people immersed in the garden. I plant my 
oh, what should I say? My beds. My beds have narrow pathways so that they almost pinch together. So it looks like I have a sea of zinnias, but really you can walk between these beds because there's there's gravel underneath there. Uh, but when you just scan out my garden, it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what? where does one bed end and another one start? What are the other three varieties? The other one I use is an uproar rose. It's it's the only hybrid of the tall cutting zinnias, and it's more more costly, but it's definitely worth it. And then I use two types of the of the queen series, the lime orange and the lime red. But I say that somewhat hesitantly because I just need a few of those in my garden. My my main my main uh, variety is the Benaries. And then I have one or two type of Oklahoma varieties that I use. But I have planted enough Oklahomas in the past that I don't have to get new seed for that. And they'll come up in certain areas. Now, when they sell seed, when they come up, a lot of them revert back to what their their mother color is way back before man started, I would before say mankind genetic started. modification then, right? Yes. Yes, yes. They will revert back to the pinks and purples. And originally, so, the original color for a zinnia is, like you said, is a pink, purple, maybe even a little bit of a red? Yes, in, in that, yep, in that okay. family. You may yes, have mentioned yes. about nope. drainage. Um, how, what kind of soil do you have out there in Missouri? I'm laughing for a number of reasons. Um, one is we live on a, I would say, unique piece of land for Missouri. <laughs> and <laughs> that is because in in the um, our area, we're in the Ozarks that have uh, rocks, rocks, rocks. My sister-in-law lives three-fourths of a mile away from us. She can't even get a shovel into her land. We live on this, yeah, on this land that's this compacted, silty, uh, black dirt. Our problem is we needed to get air pockets into that uh, uh, and drainage into into our dirt. Well, dirt, oh, I have a master gardener. um, Oh, I went through certificate. Yeah. And we were told never to, to call the, the stuff below it. It was a cardinal sin, but I do it too. It's You're supposed to either call uh, it a medium or, yeah, I, I, see, you're basically amending the area, aren't you? Oh, definitely. We do not have to bring dirt in. We made that mistake when we first moved here because that's what everybody else did around us. Of course. They called in topsoil. What we need to do is use the earth that we have here, amend it. And I've, I've amended it, oh man, profusely with uh, pea gravel because pea gravel doesn't break down and, and let the earth glue back together. So I have pea gravel all over 
and then I bring in compost. We make our own compost with just as an aside here, I get a lot of self-seeders of zinnias growing because we then flail mow our zinnias at the end of the season, put that little tiny pieces into our compost or directly back on my beds for winter mulch. Mm. So there's a bunch of, of self-seeding going on with that. And I just call it out in the spring. If it's not the right spacing or the right whatever in the right place, boom, 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 it's out of here. So I almost use my self-seeding zinnias as a cover crop. Um, and you know, like from rye, there. like wheat, like uh, and, uh, like farmers do? So it reinstitutes yeah. nitrogen into the soil? Yep, yeah, it's just organic matter. So I oh, just like pull it out, boom, 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 it's out of here. So at the end of the season, I do not go around and and pick heads so that I collect seeds to reseed because I have so much self-seeding going on that I have to be vigilant about thinning out. And that's one of my failures that I of this spring. I did not thin out good enough in some areas, and so they grow tall and spindly and uh, not good. From the pictures we're yeah. noticing, I think you're being a little too critical of yourself. <laughs> I mean, really. This is absolutely <laughs> stunning. People, if you have, you know, go on to Facebook. And, Scott, is this under um, Patchwork Farms or is it under, you know? Patchwork Flower Farm? Okay. So you mentioned that you don't really seed much anymore. But uh, I did read that when you were buying seeds that you like to pick single colors and then make your own mix. Uh, in the beds, mixture yep. of color combos. Uh, and then, of course, that means we're back to the artist in you. <laughs> okay, yes, I need to back up. Even though I said, oh, I have all this self-seeding going on, there's certain varieties that I don't even buy anymore because I have so much of that variety going on on my farm. But I do buy single color packets of the Benary Giants. That is one of the few I do. And the reason why is there's certain beds that I do want, uh, I do want to start out with an intent of a color combination because all my self-seeders, they kind of get to be a mixture of this and that. And I feel like the, the quilt, the quilt that I have going on out there, it needs some resting spaces for the eye. And those resting spaces are the ones that I have planted a little more intentionally with my own mixture. And when I say my own mixture, I never mix more than two colors at a time in that bed. Because then I, if I mix more colors than that, it starts to look, there's no, it's no longer a restful, a restful spot. Mm -hmm. and, those, and those two colors that I mix are similar in tonal value. So I would never mix a bright yellow and a wine together. You see, she's just, using this like it were an art class. This is, this is the uh, designer <laughs> coming out in you. I can see this. It, no, and I get it because... As a musician, the note you make is just as important as the space between the notes. 
And Ooh, that, and that's that, heavy. And that's what she's saying about, yeah, no, that's perfect. Definitely. Gaylene, I did a little yeah. research. I didn't know how this was going to go. See, I know I know zinnias, and I know we sell them as annuals at the, in the, uh, let's say, the Great Lakes up, up area here. And they'll last. I mean, they do have a susceptibility to fungus around mid to end of August, but that's like rutabecchia. That's like, um, let's say, echinacea. Oh, I, I forgot. I'm supposed to talk regular. It's going to be like black-eyed Susans or coneflower that are susceptible to that in leaf spot. Now, mind you, the, the, on the research, they've also stated if you're going to start from seed, you're going to throw those down sometime between March and April. Then the second batch is going to come out about the end of May, first part of June, so that they kind of overlap each other. Uh, is that what you do or notice, or does it do where you're located? Does it, you don't have to do this? I'll, I'll just tell you what I do. I am not in a big hurry to get my zinnias planted in the spring. And the reason why is I want to grow strong plants. Zinnias are hot weather annuals. They're indigenous to to Mexico where it's hot and dry. So what I do for my, uh, my you pick here, I have a lot of daffodils, like thousands of daffodils. So I have basically two two main crops, daffodils and zinnias. The, uh, the daffodils are actually in the same beds as my zinnias. Really? Yeah, I overplant is what I do. Well, not every single bed, but they're in the same big garden. Uh, yep, yep, yep. So what I need to do is wait for the the daffodils to to die back and start to get yellow leaves before I can pull the yellow leaves. Mm-hmm. Then I can go in there and and plant my my zinnias. That's one reason. That's that's a practical reason. Uh, that that that's for me. Now there's another reason, and that's for the zinnias. Is I do not plant them until our nights are consistently above sixty degrees. And the reason why is once those little seedlings come up, if it's cold, if they get stressed in any way, they're going to sit there and pout, and they're going to not be as strong a plant is if I just hang on to my, um, if I have patience and plant them because I plant May 15th. Sometimes I plant direct seed May 1st. But I'm wet out there too, so um, so between May first and May fifteenth is when I do my first direct seeding. The, by then, the soil is has warmed up because I have that mulch on there, and they pop up in two to three days, really? and they're often running from the get go. Where if I would have planted them earlier, they I would have either had to cover them which I don't want to do because my garden is about beauty and it's not about seeing all the, the workings of, I don't want them. I don't want visitors to see all these structures that I do to, um, I don't know, to get a good bloom. I mean, the bloom is pretty, but everything around it is ugly. Mm -hmm. No, that doesn't work for me because if, okay, let's put it this way. Even if I didn't have visitors coming here, every single day that I go outside or even looking out of my windows of my house, I want 
beauty to accost me. I want it to just like come at me, thump, you know? So I do whatever I can. Aesthetics come first. How's that? Yeah, You may mention yeah. about between May 1 and May 15. Now, we used to, being that Scott's wife has a garden center, we would sell the plants already started, right? And we called them annuals. But we yeah. would not, I mean, let's rephrase this. The old timers would not plant. It used to be Mother's Day until after Mother's Day. But see, even before that, nobody planted by, you know, calendar day. What they did was they planted by the moon. Do you notice that this is something similar with your flowers or no? You know, I've never planted by the moon. I plant more by, I would say, nighttime temperatures. Yeah, I noticed um, when you said that it's got to be warm. Um, yeah. That's because I was thinking of the Tomato Tom story. Yeah. Where he plants his tomatoes after the second full moon in May. Well, that's from a plant that's already started, too. And he's yeah. had the richest, ripest of all. But now, can I interject here? I did my homework, and I found out that around 1520, some guy from Europe came over. His name was Zinn. And he noticed that the Aztecs were had a buttload of, of zinnias. But see, they didn't call them zinnias. They called them hard on the eyes, plants that are hard on the eyes. And it was because of the colorful flowers that they had. But a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Gottfried Zinn, German botanist, took him back to Europe. And being that Europe didn't have anything like this, he was the head of the town, you know, of the country, of all of the continent. And so in 15 or 1753, they were just kicking derriere. When you said that these were from Mexico, they're indigenous and natural from Mexico, um, they love the hot, dry weather. How does, did you get much humidity out there where you are right now? Oh, man. Okay. I grew up in North Dakota. North where Dakota. North Dakota. Yes. We, we up there do not know what humidity is. And if there's a little bit of moisture in the air, we're like, we're laying around going, oh, man, it's so hot <laughs> out there. I mean, you know, we can hardly take it. Okay. Moving down here, I found out what humidity is. And it's, it's bad, actually, for zinnias. i got to say the zinnias that I grew this summer were some of the best ever. And I think it was because we had a drought this summer. We yeah. had one of the driest summers ever. Usually I cannot go out and work in my garden until about 10 o'clock in the morning because everything's wet from dew. It's just, there's yeah. just water in the air all the time. And then in the evening, as soon as the sun goes down, boom, you know, the grass is wet. So I have to do my stuff actually during the heat of the day down here. However, this summer, Things were so dry, and my zinnias flourished. I, um, I, I just am now starting to see a few disease plants here and there spotty. And, and so they have beautiful foliage all summer long. Now, there are some varieties that are more disease-resistant, and I, I only plant the ones that say disease resistant because I, I don't want to start out with um, 
that against me. Do you go, I mean, do you find that people are coming in or do you promote things by, for instance, the, the, the Zinnia had uh, been symbolic of friendship, um, endurance, I mean, remembrance of people. In Victorian era, they used it, the, used the flower for somebody that was absent that would be representing of that. Do you do that on promotion? Like, let's say the rose basically is there for my love. I'm expressing my love. Or if it's yellow rose, it's just friendship. But do you do that for, you know, the symbolizing of the uh, friendship or the remembrance of somebody? No, I do not. However, I am aware of the symbolic and emotional attachment to, to flowers, to each particular flower. The people who come out and, and, and are really taken by the zinnias, they always mention to me that this is my or was my mother's favorite, favorite. flower yeah. or my grandma used to grow these. And I think the reason why it has that, that oh, a grandma attachment is because Zinnia seed is something that um, they're not divas, even though they're, they're beautiful and, and there's such variety, but they aren't fussy plants like some other flowers that go into arrangements. And so they're accessible. That's the word I can use. They are accessible for, for us everyday people to, to get a packet, plant it, and whatever happens, happens. And they've only spent maybe two dollars and fifty cents. Well, you treat these like they're they're human beings. You can the the, the phrase you use they're not divas, um, is just an absolute <laughs> perfect description. Uh, I, I think that this is at more than admirable. This is something that is just you you are attached to these things. I mean, you become part of it. You become part of your palette, part of your canvas, part of this whole thing. And then when the the people come up to visit you're basically allowing them to be in your secret garden, aren't you? Yes. Secret, or some people say, oh, it's so peaceful here. Oh, it's magical. Well, I don't want to oversell it, but if they feel those feelings when they come here, I'm not going to argue with them. No. <laughs> We've also, through the little bit of the homework, there's about 25 different uh, medicinal or remedial uh, things from this also? Are you finding people that might be coming over strictly to harvest to see if they can get, for instance, there's antifungal, anti-hepatitis, uh, well, something for the liver, antioxidants, bacteria, viral, malaria. Uh, anything that basically can be good for the body is good for the soul. Are you finding that some of the people are coming in there to do that for that purpose? You know, I'm not even sure if the people, my guess, I call them my flower friends who come, whether they're strangers or not. Once they've been here or once they like a, a, a photograph on, on my social media, boom, they, they're my flower friends. Okay, so once a flower friend comes here and if they want to view it as therapeutic, I'm just like, have at it, but I am not going to promote that because. I don't want to get into the arena of of ingesting flowers, whether they be edible or not. Gotcha. I, yep. And that's just because I'm, um, mm, what am I? You're an um, artist. 
You're not a physician or a pharmacist. <laughs> well, I, I'm. I like to employ all my senses because it's a it's a total experience. However, I want to stay with the aesthetics as something that's safe for me to promote as a business, yeah. as a white business person. Now, zinnias are not the only flowers that I grow here. I I actually like to inter intersperse uh, different other supportive flowers with the zinnias. Like we noticed. You, you just yeah. stole my next question from me. I was going to ask okay. if you had any companion plants. I do. I do. But I have to work with restraints. Like, I'm on, the only person on the face of the earth that has restraints, ha-ha, you know. But I'll tell you what my restraints are. And you know what? As an artist, I actually like restraints because they push the envelope and they push the creativity to places I would not go to if I had the world at my fingertips and could do whatever. So saying that, I'll tell you what my restraints are. I have a family of deer that come through my garden every single night. It's about five of them. So I have to plant things that the deer will not view as candy. However, they will try and nip at the zinnias when the zinnias are little tiny plants. So I have to be vigilant with that. I have celosia out there. This year they've been eating the celosia like crazy, which they haven't in years before. So I have to be vigilant with that one. Which brings me to I have to have plants out there that are pretty deer resistant. We do have about an acre or two that has an eight foot deer fence. That's where we have our vegetables and I have my sunflowers and other flowers I'm gonna get going out there. But this big, what I consider the, um, the flower garden is basically in our front yard. And that, I do not wanna put a fence around. It just, it just won't work with our layout. So I, I plant uh, dill out there, interspersed that, um, basil, echinacea, well, coneflowers. Okay, I'm <laughs> Thank <following>. you. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, out there interspersed because they actually look good together and they support each other for structure standing up. Uh, the yarrow uh, helps hold up the the zinnias. I mean, I'm noticing that. Yeah, you're you're putting things that are in there that are not. I mean, they complement. But then at the same time, what you've been describing, it sounds as if you're you're putting in plants to divert the deer and the rabbits and whatever other critters away from, let's say, your your primary focal point and feeding them at the same time. Now. You're, you're putting pollinators in, and you're putting in a food source for pollinators themselves. I mean... Yes, we do have a lot of pollinators, and I want to get even more stuff going for the pollinators. About two years ago, I decided I'm not even going to do any organic spraying. Uh, so I just said, let's create a habitat that brings in beneficial insects. So early in the spring, before even our last frost days, I'm putting out 
little seedlings of alyssum. And I don't, and I buy that tall alyssum. That's about, it goes 10 inches tall, it's kind of sprawly, but that's all over the place to start to bring in those, those little tiny insects that, that are good for the environment from the, from the get-go. And so all the flowers that are out in my flower garden are not for cutting. Some of them are for the birds and the bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I tell people, like when they come, I said, don't, don't pick from that bed of, over there, even though it looks nice. And what it is, it's a type of cosmos that, that it doesn't make good cut flowers. But Go ahead. it's good for the pollinators. So it's there. I understand, and I don't know if you've used this, but for black leaf spot, uh, a 50-50 mix of 2% milk and water sprayed all over the leaves is uh, a really good uh, agent I will use, but uh, very safe for pollinators. Well, thank you for mentioning that. I have read that. I have not tried it myself because I, I didn't get the leaf spot until this morning. When I when I made a, a round of my gardens, I'm going, whoa, that popped up overnight. Yeah, so you had and a dry season. We did until we did get some rain the last couple of days. And it wasn't the type of rain that blows in, boom, 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 you get the rain and then it blows out. It's it lingers and you get you can't even see it in the the rain gauge, but it, it was drippy all day long. That drippy weather is the death. No. Have you brought in any um, beneficial insects? Did you bring mm-hmm. any of those in, or did you draw them in with certain specific types of flowers? Because certain beneficials are going to eat certain types of insects. Yes, definitely. I did not purchase any and, and import them in. I, I don't know where they come from, surrounding areas or whatever. I, we're mostly surrounded with pasture around here. Right. So I don't have to worry about monocropping and, and things where there's sprays going on. Right. I, I need to do uh, uh, more more research on how to get the right plants going to bring in to bring in that stuff naturally. We also have two beehives on our, our property, honeybees, which is good, but we have probably even more wasps and bumblebees and other type of flying insects going around. Then we actually do the honeybees even. So they're coming from somewhere. You're drawing them in and see this. If you, if you build it, they will come. Um, This is generally something that I'm discovering too, that throughout rather than having to use any pesticides or herbicides, maybe you had to do that in the beginning, but slowly you brought plants in that draw or attract the beneficials themselves in, and that's self-sustaining. Are you noticing that you're 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 basically just going out there and frolicking through your property and 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 dispersing <laughs> seed throughout and letting nature take its course? Oh, Nick, you paint such a, a a fairy fairy tale picture, and I love it. I'm rolling with it because I have this visual going on of me tiptoeing through the through the tulips. Right, but. <laughs> but actually, it, it's a little it's a little harder than that because some years just aren't as good as other years. 
and, and the reason why I say that is this year, actually, I didn't quite, I didn't have as, as many butterflies. I had a lot, a lot, a lot, but not last year. I had so many and I'm going, oh, why is that? And so I'm trying to go down the list, you know, is it because we mowed along the fence line too much? Because I know the caterpillars need a place to crawl off to where they can be safe. It's the ones that are going to overwinter in their, uh, in their cocoons and, and whatever that. But then I'm reading other places in the country are, are having the same problem. Well, yeah, with, that's with, what I was just going to interject here. That we've noticed there's a lot of people that are putting native plants in that draw the, for instance, the monarch butterfly or even the dill for the, for the swallowtail. There isn't that many of them out there. And we don't know why. We're asking all the questions. What has happened? What's the difference between now and previous years? And I don't think we've come to any conclusion. Do you have an idea? No, I don't. But it has propelled me to study all the more and and see what, what I can do. I know in the past I had a lot more what I would consider umbles on my farm and it wasn't intentional it was just that I grew parsnips and then I didn't get them all dug up in the spring so that they went into their second year and then they bolted, bolted and they had these yeah. beautiful um, yeah and and that was a big attractor for uh, um for caterpillars and and I had uh like that ornamental carrot Ornamental carrot looks just like uh, dill. I mean, not dill, Queen Anne's lace, yeah. or you can even yeah. go on hemlock. Have you noticed an overabundance of uh, poison hemlock growing or no? We've noticing it out here in Ohio. Yes, in the ditches around our place. Uh, yes, yes, but not on our farm. But I do have a big bed of Orlea, which is an umble, and that's self-seeding, and that comes early. Uh, that That works. That works well for me on on our farm. One thing that has changed in in our area is the property that's just north of us is is a field. It's open, and the previous owners did not mow it, and so there's a lot of milkweed uh, uh, growing out there, and probably Queen Anne's lace, but it's just stuff growing. And now the current owners are mowing it. And I don't know if mowing makes a different difference or not in the the out. I mean, I don't want our our house to be in the middle of of things that are upgrown, but I'm wondering about the the surrounding areas because these insects that come to our farm, they're coming from miles away, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're they're somehow finding it. I don't know if it's smell. I don't know. If the flowers are beckoning, I'm saying, come on over. Well, I have a rookie question. Okay, Okay, Scott's going to ask rookie stuff. Okay, I have a rookie answer. (laughs) The zinnia flower, as a standalone flower itself, is uh, you cut. Have any magical power, basically, that they last longer than any other cut flower once you cut them and, you know, put them in a vase and water? Is there anything magical about that or... In comparison to other cut flowers, no. Each cut flower has its unique way of, they call it post-harvest handling. And in fact, some organizations that I belong to in the cut flower uh, world have put out a big book. 
that lists almost every flower and how to handle it, its face lights, what different treatment it should go through, should it go into boiling water and this and that and whatever. So um, I had to come up with what is my standard practice here for for when my flower friends come to the farm and and take their flowers home. Is there an additive you can use? I mean, somebody said use sugar like they would in water for Christmas trees. <laughs> Or use the saccharin, which they used to use, the sugar-free stuff, the packets into a gallon of water, and it basically preserves it. Or is it just, you know, just a cultural thing? You you know the flower, how long they're going to last, and you just put them in decent water. Uh Okay. Why am I laughing? (laughs) Okay, here's why I'm laughing. You use the word decent water. What's your definition of decent? Okay. Because we've learned through doing the uh, Christmas tree farm stuff that uh, Duke basically said, you know, toss out all that stuff, you know, fresh water, lots of water is the best. And we came to the conclusion that not using tap water, using uh, melted snow or just rain, using that water is even better for the tree than even just distilled water. Well, I'm thinking here that, the, the tree farmer then, was it you or your family? Okay. You figured it out what you needed to do on your farm with your set of circumstances to get the best life out of that living thing that you cut. Correct. And, and I think each, each farmer then has to figure out their unique situation. For example, well, let me back up. There's three things. That has to be right in order to get long base life. One is the pH of the water. The second thing is uh, control bacteria in the water. And the last one is the food. So let's go to the pH. Our well water here is 7.8. Most cut flowers like 4.5 to 5 pH. Really? Now, you mean yeah. they don't like it more neutral? Yeah. Neutral is going to be 6.5. Yep, yep. They like it on the acidic side. Okay. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So, I do add an after-harvest solution that lowers the pH only because our natural, our well water is so high here. Okay. Zinnias are considered a dirty flower. There's about four or five dirty flowers. And that means, well, for one thing, it has on the stem, it has these little hairs that come out. Yeah. Those little hairs trap bacteria. So when I put it in the water, it's just the bacteria then hangs onto the stem and they get mushy and whatever. So the, the flower solution that I use has an antibacterial component to it, and it's a little different formula than, let's just say, use bleach, a drop of bleach in the water, because bleach will dissipate within a matter of of hours, where the bacteria that's put in the formulation of of the flower solution is a slow release. And then there's some food in there, a little sugar. 
Now that gets a little more tricky depending upon each flower because zinnias really don't need any more food once they've been cut. Zinnias are cut in their mature stage, but not overly mature, of course. We don't have to, you know, <laughs> of course we understand that. But in their in their just right stage, what however you cut a zinnia, they're gonna stay at that stage. They're not gonna open any further. They're that what you see is what you get. So it doesn't really need the food to continue that process of opening up. Where there's other flowers like cosmos, like poppies, like sunflowers, they need that food because we're picking them in the cracked bud stage. Or when like on a sunflower, those petals are are flat against the disc. They haven't popped off yet. So they need that energy to do their final burst of glory. Too much flower food for a zinnia could make them um, oh, like they're on steroids or stuff and then they go mushy. They kind of have to be careful of that. So I, I, when I send home the, the bouquet that the, my flower friends have picked, it's a solution that has a pH balancer in it and the antibacteria, but it has no flower food. But I send home with them uh, then a powdered in a little tiny packet, and it does have a little bit of food in that one. But when they leave here, no, they don't need the food. So they're happy, basically, when they leave. They've got everything that they like. Do you, you notice that most of your, uh, I would say clients, not customers, are return. They keep coming back and back and back. And then word of mouth has a tendency to, you know, get a little overwhelming. Well, word of mouth, mouth is the best. I've never advertised. All I do is put my pictures out there. I've never bought, oh, a sponsored ad for uh, for Facebook and say, yeah, come to the farm. I, I've, I've never done that. But it's the word of mouth. And I like it just that, that more intimate slower pace because way back at the beginning I was saying that it's by appointment only and that happened because parking parking is not real good at our place there's enough for a couple cars but there's not enough for 10 cars at one time and plus people love to take pictures and I love to take pictures of them when they come out and they don't want strangers uh parading in the back of their pictures mm -hmm. you know they got pictures of themselves what's all about that so, yeah yeah <laughs> it is oh, and, yeah that's fun now scott's talking i mean go ahead scott uh, when does your season start and end for those of uh, have an interest in coming out and making an appointment okay my season actually starts with the daffodils and that is mid-april yeah it's a it's a long season with the daffodils because I have thirty five different types. I was just going to ask, you got thirty five different types of daffodils. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Anything from paper whites to like a hundred different varieties of yellows. Do you get orange? What kinds are they? Because we're running yep. out of time, yep. but I want to go even further on this. Well, how many? <laughs> you said a hundred different varieties. No, thirty five different varieties. Oh, where do they get a hundred? Yeah, not a hundred. I got there a are a hundred out there. But I know it's, it's easy to do that in life. Okay. Yeah, especially for um, Mike. Yeah. I'm, I got to calm down well, here. When we were talking immaturity of the plants a little bit earlier, I just kind of relating it, looking at Mike. Yeah. Hey, look, we only grow old. We don't grow up. All right. Well, 
All right, 35 different varieties. Okay, 35 varieties. And I think that's important to, to loop back to the season because with that many different varieties and opening at different times because they're all programmed to be early, mid, or late bloomers, I can start in early April or even end of, yeah, early April for two months. I will have daffodils, something blooming out there. Plus, I have alliums. And the reason why I have daffodils and alliums is because of my family of deer that come through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can I can grow that. Um, now tell people, you, you because of the family of deer that come through, you feed them, right? I try not to, but... <laughs> so, well, what we're doing right now, so the, the, your, your season basically will last. Do you have even autumn flowers, like around October or end of September? Well, right now, I would say my zinnias have their peak. They're still beautiful out there, but as far as their, oh, I would say their peak, and I'm moving on to sunflowers. I have quite a few beds coming up of those. Um, so basically, I have the daffodils. And then, and then I have the zinnias, and then I have the sunflowers. There is a month or two in between there after daffodils where I have things growing out there, but they're not like for my flower friends to come, come, come see this and see that, you know, because I have some bachelor buttons going. I have, I can't remember. I just have other, other things going, but they're not beds of it. Okay, Gayleen. People on Facebook and social media can look up your patchwork flower farm on Facebook and then just go uh-huh. and, you know, push like, and they have access to what we have right now that you have a website. Social media is my, is, is the place to go right now in the future. A website will be generated. That is a winter project in the works. That's another one that's going with the flow. So Get- yeah. Facebook and Instagram right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gaylene, I certainly appreciate this. I mean, now Scott, he's going, why do we have to quit? Why do we have to quit? Um, Scott, you got anything else you want to say? It reminds me of um, Kylie in the Lavender Farm, how she has people coming in and taking pictures. And she does like a professional photographer there that on certain nights. They even do yoga in the beds, in between the beds. And I see Gaylene like following right up that alley. I mean, mom and dad used to take us, well, we're going to go see a moo cow and we're going to milk it and we're going to go. Now they're going into, and like you said, Gaylene was COVID got everybody interested in the outdoors and you're helping this. So congratulations and thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity to share my passion, share my love, just share my life with more people than me. I like your attitude on going with the flow, too. <laughs> well, yep, yep. Okay. I was going to say that that comes with old age. Okay. <laughs> Patchwork Flower Farm, Gaylene, thank you so very, very, very much. Thank you for the time. This has been awesome. Thank you. Guys and gals, if you need to get in touch with her, just look up the Patchwork Flower Farm. It's in Springfield, Missouri, right outside or inside the Ozarks. I'm not sure. But in the meantime, once you see this on Facebook, you're home free. Thanks for listening to your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. 
And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.